The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor story, Nightmare in Silver. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you should also be sure to hit the bell to get notifications. I want to encourage you to stick around to the very end of the episode, because we've got some listener feedback we'd like to share with you on our recent episode, not so recent now, but uh, because of the vagaries of production schedules, uh, our New Year's Eve episode, Eve of the Daleks. So uh, we wanted to get that feedback in now. And uh, before we get to discussing today's episode, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network that I'm sure, I'm certain, that you would like to subscribe to if you have not yet already, called Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World, where Jimmy and I explore mysteries, both natural and supernatural, from the perspectives of faith and reason. And, we do? Uh, uh, sure, why not? <laughs> okay, I hadn't gotten the memo on that, I guess, so what, uh, maybe we can accommodate what did I say? That was not the, the usual thing. No, you said everything correctly. I'm, I'm just <laughs> okay. being the contrary. <laughs> okay, okay. So anyway, uh, check it out. Yeah, you'll get more more of that uh, meek being there, clueless. There are twists on yeah. Mysterious World. So. There are twists, yes. Yeah. Uh, check it out. There's some. We've had some fun episodes recently. Some really fun. The Hindenburg disaster. Uh, is it always demons when, we, when weird things happen? How do we know whether it's the demonic activity or not? Uh, all kinds of awesome, great stories like that. And uh, coming up, I think this show is going to release around the time we're talking about Our Lady of Cabejo, which is another mm-hmm. very interesting topic. Yeah, we got a lot of great stuff coming up. I've already, I've got the next several months actually already written, including the April Fool's episode for this year. So lots of fun stuff. Excellent. Don't be fooled. All right. So let's talk about this episode. And this is, like I said, it's called Nightmare in Silver. Uh, and Jimmy, can you give us a recap of this one? The doctor takes Clara and the two annoying kids that she babysits to an amusement <laughs> park planet, but it's shut down and not much fun. Part of why it's not much fun is that it's infested with three million Cybermen. The Cybermen start upgrading the children, and a cyber planner installs himself in the doctor's head and dubs himself Mr. Clever. This allows Matt Smith to do a lot of overacting, talking to with himself. He also must play a game of chess with himself for the fate of the kids. Also on this planet are a group of incompetent, stereotypical goofball soldiers from a human space empire, and the human emperor who has improbably run away from his royal court and has been hiding himself on the defunct amusement park planet. Eventually, the doctor frees the children and shocks the cyber planner in his head to death, Afterward, the Emperor implodes the planet to destroy the Cybermen, and they all beam away to safety. The end. <laughs> that, that is about as accurate of a description of uh, what goes on as I can imagine. Well, and, and probably about the most interesting part of the episode is Willow hitting on Clara. So, <laughs> yes. so let's talk about that. Yeah, so uh, Warwick Davis is probably the, the most well-known guest actor in this one, and he's, you would know him from such movies as Willow. Uh, but also uh, uh, Star Wars: Return of the Jedi. He played one of the the uh, Ewoks. Ewoks. Yeah. He so, also s- filled in for Kenny Baker in some of the Star Wars movies, right? As R two D two inside R two. Yeah, and so uh, you know he's done a lot of uh, short person roles. So he's very famous for for doing that over the years. And uh, I I kind of I like him in this. He's a good actor, so he I mm-hmm. think he, he he does a good job here. I wanted to mention, so this, I was really, when this came out, I was really looking forward to it because of who wrote it. Um, it's written by yeah. Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. and Neil Gaiman is a British author who I have known for decades back when he was first making a name for himself in America writing for uh, The Sandman, uh, mm-hmm. which is a DC comic book. 
And he's since gone on to write a lot of other sci-fi fantasy stuff in other media. And he's very well-known, very well-respected. And the previous season, he wrote one of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever, which was The Doctor's Wife. Mm-hmm. And the, where we get to talk with the TARDIS and like have a conversation, and she is personified as a woman. And it was an amazing episode that added to the mythology of the show. And that's the kind of thing I would expect from a Neil Gaiman spec script or script, you know, guest script. And so I was thinking, we're going to have another amazing episode from Neil Gaiman this season. And wow, did we not. <laughs> this is this is the lamest thing I've ever seen Neil Gaiman write. Now, I'm not a huge Neil Gaiman fan. I mean, I respect the guy, but I haven't read everything he or watched everything he's written. Mm-hmm. But still, this was a mediocre episode. And yeah. I was just very underwhelmed by it and less than I would have expected from Neil Gaiman. Well, you know, I was told uh, as a uh, in seminary learning uh, homiletics, you're not always going to hit, you know, bat a thousand. You know, you're you're going to have homilies that fall flat. Well, apparently this is Neil Gaiman's uh, episode that fell flat. He's he's not batting a thousand. Yeah, I, I agree. This is he's usually one of those. It's kind of like uh, Stephen Moffat before he took over a show run. You'd see that he was writing the episode. Oh, this is going to be a pretty good one, if not mm-hmm. a great one. And right. Neil Gaiman's another one of those. And this is not it. No, but in Neil Gaiman. So like when Stephen Moffat was. In his pre-showrunner days, he didn't have to do Doctor Who every week, and so he didn't mm-hmm. have to have that many great ideas. He right. just needed an occasional great idea, and he would ha- and he would write a great episode for Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I look at Neil Gaiman. I mean, okay, Neil, you're a brilliant writer. How many great ideas do you have for Doctor Who? Based right. on the evidence at hand, it looks like the answer is one. But yeah. I would have expected more than one, two or three, you know. Mm-hmm. Although I do, you know, in, in partial defense, because obviously the script is not great. Um, uh, I wonder how much of this is also how it was put together and directed and, you know, put on screen. There, some of that might as well, because some of oh, that. Oh, there are script level problems in this. Yeah, right. I mean, there's uh, there are good elements and I'll talk about those, but but like. The kids are so annoying mm-hmm. in this. Yes. Now, Joe Michael Straczynski had a rule on Babylon 5 that anytime you introduce cute kids, they have to die. And, <laughs> and, 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 and yes, that's the right decision for Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You bring a cute kid on, cute kid has to die. But the problem here is this show, is this episode, is trying to do too many things. Yeah. It wants to be scary, and it wants to be funny, and it wants to be heartwarming, and it's not sticking the landing on right. doing all three of those. Right. And so it's it's coming across as, as lame in many respects. And the uh, the kids are part of the problem, because they're, they're not, I mean, number one, they're played as cute kids, not as serious kids. You can have serious kids in a drama. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I can think of other sci-fi shows that have kids on them, and the kids are serious characters. They're very straightforward. They contribute to the plot. I can even think of them doing things that uh, that the adults are not able to do, mm-hmm. you know, and contributing to the plot. But they still treat their elders with respect. They're not these superior little brats, mm-hmm. and that's what we have here. Because by the end of the episode, we have, so it's not immediately announced that Warwick Davis is the emperor. Mm-hmm. It's, they, they play, they hint at it a little bit earlier, but that in ways the audience can see, but the characters don't. But it, it, there's this reveal at the end of, well, it, Angie, the little girl, is like, oh, well, he's obviously the emperor. Come on, keep up. What are, what's wrong with you adults? Don't you know anything? Right. And mm-hmm. and she's this snotty little brat. Yeah. And um and and it's that's the worst moment for her character. But there's just a problem with the way these kids are portrayed. Mm-hmm. That is not funny. Yeah, I think even worse uh, for me was when she she walks into the room and says, "I'm bored. Entertain me." You little yeah. snot. You've just been transported across the universe and time to a to another planet. Like well. <laughs> 
obnoxious got, and entitled. <laughs> well, they've got that, and then she also pulls out the the line of "I hate you. You never let me do anything." When she wanders oh. off after being told it's dangerous to wander off. Well, it's it's such a a stereotype of the of the snotty teenage girl, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's not interesting to me because it's just such a a bland, dumb stereotype that doesn't actually reflect the what children can be. And I just yeah, it, it, what, I was really annoyed by that character. Yeah. At least her brother, uh, Princess MacGuffin, uh, damsel in distress, doesn't come off that badly because he just spends most of the episode as a zombie. Yes. And and I think that's deliberate because he's the younger actor and younger actors have, as children, have problems acting. And so making both of the children zombies for a significant part of the episode where they just stand there and don't do anything and especially the younger of the two, mm-hmm. is a reasonable writing decision if you're going to have cute kids in the story, younger kids. So that I can understand. But still, you didn't have to, Neil Gaiman, you did not have to write these kids, and especially the girl, to be this right. annoying. Well, another plot level problem I had, or premise level, was the well, two things. Why did they go, why did the doctor show up to this amusement park planet at a time when it's closed. Like, I get the doctor sometimes travels to weird uh, times when he's not supposed to, and sometimes the TARDIS takes him to where he needs to go as opposed to where he's going. But it's just a sort of like, they're going to this amusement park, and they show up to when it's closed, and he doesn't immediately go, oh, it's closed. Well, let's go, let's hop back in and get to when we need to be there. And then, as soon mm-hmm. as he detects that there might be live Cybermen on this planet, he doesn't say... Get back in the TARDIS, stay there, or yep. get in the TARDIS, I'm taking you home, and then I'll, I'll come back and deal with this. No, he they put them down for a nap and leave them, you know, next door to where this Cyberman was sitting. Like, well, it just... I can ah. excuse the doctor doing that, because the doctor is flighty like that, and he doesn't think like that, but Clara, whose job it is, is to t- watch these kids <laughs> and care for them, yeah, why yeah. she didn't say, well, I'm staying with them then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's yeah. It, it's, Instead of becoming the you know the the the, the general, right, right. So I, I did like yeah. the way that Clara is put in charge of the space marines mm-hmm. and really effectively takes charge. Um, yeah, that I did like. Now so, yeah, I, I she thought was she was going to get yeah. a little over her head. I thought they were going to write her as getting over her head, and of course they didn't. You know, so well, I yeah, mean, they sort of did bit. because she would have. So later in the episode, I mean, they're fighting the Cybermen under her command, and at, they have some success, but then they they start losing, and they would have all been assimilated if the Doctor had not crucially made a move in his simultaneous chess game that caused the Cyber Planner to deactivate all the Cybermen to hog their processing power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the Cybermen a bit because they are a new design. Um, this is the first change to the design since they brought them back for New Who. Uh, back and this is a lot better to my yeah. mind. I did not like the parallel universe Cybermen from yeah. David Tennant's era. Yeah, the Cybus Industries. It was the rise of the Cybermen. Was that one? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So and um, they reintroduced the Cyber Planner, which was a classic Who Cyberman thing. Um, they are. They have instead of cyber mats, they have cyber mites. So smaller, more advanced cyber mites with mats, which were pretty good. Yeah, I really liked. So among the things I liked were how the Cybermen were done in this episode, except for the Cyber Planner. Mm-hmm. The Cybermen in general, so their design looks good. Not as much body horror as with the Mondasian Cybermen, but still, their design looks pretty good. They move really fast. Mm-hmm. In this, they'll they'll they use a um, slowed down, sped up camera effect to make it look like mm-hmm. they're moving at like rocket speed mm-hmm. a, as they walk from one place to another, and that is effective. That makes them scary. Yeah, if they can move that fast compared to a human, that is scary. They also have fi- another physical attribute that they use at one point, which is someone tries to sneak up behind a Cyberman and he rotates his head three hundred and sixty degrees. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because the, what part of what they're trying to do is get a particular device on the back of the Cyberman's head that will, like, short-circuit them and shut them down. And if they can swivel their head 180 degrees around to look at you 
it's going to be hard to get your hand back there. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, exactly. And so uh, that was effective. I loved the cyber mites, which are mm-hmm. basically, as Dom indicated, tiny, um, tiny cyber mats. They look like, whereas cyber mats are kind of like little electronic mice sort of creatures. These are like little electronic sea lice mm-hmm. sorts yeah. of creatures. They look like little scurrying sea lice, only they're metal. And then also, I think maybe for the first time, we have a name for for the Cyberman Collective. They call it the Siberiad. Right. Mm. And I, I also liked the uh, some of the dialogue that, uh, that Gaiman gave the Cybermen when they are about to assimilate Clara and the other goofball soldiers, who I definitely want to talk about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Cybermen say, please stand by. You will be upgraded. Welcome to the Siberiad. And it's like, at least they're being polite about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, the, the, I found these, these Cybermen are much more like the Star Trek Borg, I found. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. have the ability to adapt to weaknesses. You know, they, they upgrade. They, they, they upgrade so that they're no longer vulnerable to gold, for instance. Uh, and they have that or, hive or mind. Or cleaning fluid. Yeah. <laughs> cleaning fluid, right. Um, or, and they have the hive mind. So they, 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 they come across more like Star Trek Borg, which I thought was an interesting... Although the Cybermen as a concept pre-exist the Borg, of course. But, right. Um, yeah. I, 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 I noticed those things, and in particular, the automatic upgrades they do on themselves. So it's like mm-hmm. whenever Clara or someone finds an effective countermeasure... Mm-hmm. For the Cybermen, they will pause and then they will announce that they're upgrading to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right, and this I actually hate. Yeah, I can I I could accept it the first time we saw the Borg doing it, mm-hmm. but it's it's really sloppy writing because what it does is it changes the rules on the audience in order to juice the drama. Yeah. And and so instead of announcing there's something we didn't know and they can deal with this, it's like, oh, no, they're adapting to deal with it. Okay, that amounts to the writer is changing the rules. You set up a rule, and then you work within that rule, only now you've decided, no, I want to squeeze a little bit more drama out of this, so I'm going to just change the rule on the audience. And that right. is sloppy writing. It is better writing to have a set of rules that's in play, even if the audience doesn't know all the rules. You can you can still, um, you know, uh, conceal facts from the audience, uh, but it is better drama and better writing to have a pre envisioned set of rules that the characters, good and bad, have to work within, mm-hmm. and right. that creates more effective, more satisfying drama. See, and with the upgrading part, the the one I I disliked the most about it was the the they were gonna they elect, electrified the moat. And the one Cyberman walks in and immediately gets shocked and goes, oh, upgrading. And that's that's where I didn't like it. Is yeah. yeah. I could see, you know, what I think would have worked so much better is have a bunch of them walk into the moat shocked and the other ones stand on the shore going, okay, yeah. we need to figure this out. Or Okay, we can do this. Or know? have them just start piling into the moat. Where they're holed up in a castle. It's called Natty Longshoe's Comical Castle, mm-hmm. which is obvious. It's an amusement park setting and and it's actually not comical at all i know I was from they show us yeah I mean, they even told us it's going to be comical and it wasn't right um and natty longshoe i assume is some kind of outer space version of pippi longstocking <laughs> um but uh who's a swedish children's character for people who may not be aware and what the, but what they could do while they're holed up in the castle and the cybermen are being electrocuted crossing the moat is they just pile up as cyber bodies mm-hmm. and the others walk over them or yeah you know something yep. like that and like ants there's three million of them <laughs> they, yeah you know, exactly they could fill them out yeah and th- when the way star trek does the borg adapting is you know the shields right they they adapt the shield frequencies you know you, you shoot a couple the others fig- you know figure out the shield frequency and they adapt the shield frequency. but that's about the the limit of their adaptability in that sense whereas right. this one is uh i'm upgrading well how is it like what under what rule can you upgrade to not be shocked just by saying upgrading? Like, what software are you installing that doesn't allow you to be shocked by electrical 
power. You yeah, know, just, you're going to have to make physical changes in there in order to avoid being electrocuted. Yeah. In in, in the, with the Borg and the shields, it's like that's like changing this the the settings on your Wi-Fi. Yeah. You know, right. if someone's found a way to penetrate your Wi-Fi, you change the password, and right. then they can't do it until they figure out the new password. Then that's essentially what modulating your shields are on Star Trek. Yep. Right. But the upgrade thing is just it it's it's kind of a cheat. It's just I'm I'm they're they're I'm saying they're upgraded and without giving any logic or in story mm-hmm. reasoning. And yeah, I agree with that. That that's a problem. Well and, it's the same thing frankly, with the gold. Yeah. And and frankly that would have been much more creepy if instead of the one robot standing there saying I've been upgraded, you have all two million nine hundred and ninety nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine <laughs> saying We've been upgraded. Sure, that would be much more creepy. Say, yeah. okay, your plan didn't work, right? Well, and and then there's the thing with the goal, which has always been a vulnerability for the Cybermen from mm-hmm. from classic Who, and to suddenly say upgrade it. Well, why didn't they do that before? You know, it's like a, suddenly this is the thing that they can do now is where they can get rid of all their vulnerabilities. And if they can do it that easily, why are they not nigh on invulnerable now already? Well, they sort of address that. Um, you know, I mean, Warwick Davis at one point is talking about uh, his character name is Porridge. At least that's the name he's going by. It's not his imperial name. But Warwick Davis talks to Clara about the cyber wars that happened a thousand years ago and that humans won. And she's like, and he's telling her about all the problems of, you know, fighting an army that can take your own fallen casualties and recruit them and and how hard that was and she says well then how could you win and he says you see that hole up in the sky yeah. that used to be the tiberian galaxy and there were uh like there were a million tr- uh, a billion trillion people in that galaxy and it's not there anymore and that's how right. we won and that's essential to their strategy now if you encounter to keep the cybermen from ever reemerging if you meet a single cyberman you, and you can't immediately defeat it, you blow up the planet it's on, and, or implode the planet it's on to yeah. stop it from spreading. And that is reasonable. I mean, if I, I, I mean, it's a harsh strategy, but it would be effective, because mm-hmm. even if Cybermen can upgrade to where they're not going to be electrocuted by a moat, blo- imploding the planet on them is something they, they can't easily <laughs> adapt to. Right. But as to your point, Dom, about gold, so gold is, uh, is I mean, it's element 78. It's, a f- it, it's not a software thing mm-hmm. that you can just install a software patch to fix. It's, it's a mechanical problem for them. Right. And it, like would get in, clog their ventilation systems and stuff. And that you need a, you, you would think you would need a mechanical fix for. But when Matt Smith announces that older versions of the Cyberman operating system are vulnerable to gold and cleaning fluid, and that the cyber planner is running some of that older software, he -hmm. then takes a piece of gold foil and slaps it on his face, which should do nothing. Yeah. But it disables the cyber um, planner temporarily, and then Matt Smith says, and he's installing a patch to fix that. But that shouldn't happen with gold. I mean... yeah. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it you, fails. <laughs> you would think you think the ticket would would short out something or you know do something like that, you know. And it's you to remove yeah. an electrical short, you have to remove the object that is causing the electrical short. Not oh, I'm going to upgrade Windows so that my computer will run now that I don't since I have this electrical short it doesn't quite work that way. Sure, I'm sorry. Gold is element seventy nine. I was thinking of platinum. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. The the other thing, I'm not sure I, I got this as it went by pretty quick, but the Cybermen were on this planet because they had they were using it as a sort of uh, a repair depot and using mm-hmm. the, the people att- going to this resort, uh, you know, abducting them to for well, spare parts. they were waiting, yeah, so they, in particular, they were waiting for children. That's why they're on an amusement park planet. Because they needed new cyber planners, and they needed the plasticity that a child... They didn't say it this way, but they needed the plasticity that a young child's brain has so that they mm-hmm. can adapt them to the kind of planning they need to do. And um, so they, they, were, they were on this planet, but then when the amusement park closed, people stopped bringing them children. Mm. And so they've been waiting 
for reasons instead of just going elsewhere for a thousand years or more um, mm-hmm. to uh, to to have new children come. And that's why they go after Angie and Artie, the two annoying children that Clara has. And then they realize, oh, but we've also scanned you, Doctor. And even though we don't know who you are because you've, at this point in the story, deleted yourself from all these databases, um, your brain is is also has the capacity that we need mm-hmm. so we'll, and it's better than the kids so we'll make you a cyber planner right i did I mean, also like how how mr clever pointed out once he figured out the doctor had been deleting himself from databases like an asylum of the daleks he says you know you could be reconstructed from the hole you've left yeah right and the doctor says then i'll have to do something about that right the they did hint something about the reason why the Cybermen were waiting there instead of going elsewhere is they needed the Cyber Planner to help them build the rocket mm. to get off the planet. But that that you would think that the the memory banks of the Cybermen would have the the knowledge of how to build a rocket, or unless they're or, saying that the drones can't do their own work unless they have the Cyber Planner to tell them to do it. Yeah, or that the data banks of the amusement park would have that information or they could just figure it out over a thousand years <laughs> right, exactly. right. now uh, they, did, they did i mentioned the tomb of the cybermen so it was clear yeah. that the, the cybermen were supposedly in you know in some kind of stasis until the time yeah. came and we did have the obligatory tomb of the cybermen shot where you have a massive number going all the way back to the patrick troughton mm-hmm. second yep. doctor episode tomb of the cybermen where you have a shot of lots of Cybermen emerging from tombs simultaneously. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a trope on Doctor Who. Anytime you have a story involving large numbers of Cybermen showing up, we tend to get this tomb emerging shot, which is but, fine. I like that. We had several of the elements of this in the 13th Doctor story, right? With the, uh, the Lone Cybermen uh, arc. Yeah, in fact, this story was originally, like, the working title of it was something like The Last Cyberman. Right. Because mm. when we meet, the, it's not immediately apparent there's three million of them down there. Mm-hmm. We meet a single Cyberman that is being passed off as a chess-playing robot. And actually, that was something I like because that's actually based on history. Yeah. Um, in the 1700s, somebody built an automaton that worked on the same principle they're using here. <laughs> called the Turk, and the Turk was per, was presented as a chess-playing robot, but it it actually wasn't a robot. There was a person in it, mm-hmm. and that's what's happening here. Warwick Davis's character, Porridge, is actually doing the chess-playing and making it look like the Cyberman is just an empty shell, mm-hmm. but he's actually not just an empty shell, apparently. But I liked seeing. I liked the reference to the mechanical Turk. Yeah. Incidentally, there's a there's an eighth Doctor audio story. Uh, so this is Paul McGann. But there's an eighth Doctor audio story where Mary Shelley is his companion, mm. and it's called the Silver Turk. And in that story, the Silver Turk, which is the mechanical Turk, turns out to be a Cyberman. <laughs> and, uh. And so Doctor Who has done that before, and and that's fine. And then the idea of this put-together man helps inspire Mary Shelley with regard to Frankenstein. Right. Is the cyber war that they talk about in this from a thousand years ago the same as in that Eighth Doctor story that we talked about, the the Sword of Orion from uh, from the Big Finish? Is that the same cyber war? I don't know. Well, I think there have been multiple cyber wars, but if you want to... If you want to, and, you know, similarly, we had in the Jodie Whittaker's time with the the lone Cyberman, it was also set after a big cyber war. And if they just say the cyber war, I assume they mean the biggest one. Yeah, I I find it kind of confusing sometimes. And I (laughs) I know that consistency in timeline is not always Doctor Who's thing. In fact, it's never. But... (laughs) I, I kind of, in my head, I want to kind of like, okay, what are we talking about different wars at different times, or is the timeline changed? And so the it, it's kind of, well, I find then, it a little Then confusing. you want to get a copy of the Discontinuity Guide to the Doctor <laughs> Who universe, because there, there have been fans who have done exactly this. 
and they mm. they rely on not only things that are stated on screen but other things to fit all this together. And Neil Gaiman apparently has said that even though it didn't make it into the script in his head, he intended this to be set a quarter million years in the future. Mm. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, and you know, well, yeah. When we talk about wars, even you know, contemporaneous or contemporary, you know, someone who was born in 1890s would talk about serving in the war world war one yeah somebody yeah. who was born in the 30s would talk about serving in world war ii as the war now if you ask someone who served mm, in the military 40s. recently they yeah you know they if someone who'd served in the uh military recently would talk about serving in the war the the iraq uh afghan war so right. yeah that's true are we to believe that uh porridge is a thousand years old is he the one who pulled the trigger on destroying the tiberian galaxy Maybe they they hint at yeah. at that because early on he says it's really bad, but I know that billion trillion people died, but all I can do is feel sorry for the guy who had to push the button. And right, yeah. at that moment, it's kind of strongly implied he is that guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, it it was fun in one sense watching this episode because I didn't remember anything from it from the first time yeah. I'd seen it. You know, back when it first aired. Uh, and so it was kind of interesting to kind of speculate as we went along, who is this guy and what is, was he a soldier? And then coming to the conclusion that he was the emperor. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, they dropped hints and that was pretty good that they, they kind of left that twist in there. But some of the um, hints also kind of could have been that he was the soldier who hit the button, but he wasn't yeah. actually the, the emperor who did. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I went in remembering that Warwick Davis is the emperor. So that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't in my mind. Okay. As I watched it this time, I, I, I just, it's like, oh, he's implying that he did it. Yeah. Now, so, so the, the Cybermen never used to, one of the new, new things was they never used to be able to assimilate non-humans. And the doctor calls them on that, says, you can't assimilate me. He said, well, we've upgraded. And so that's how the assimilation of the doctor starts with the, the cyber planner, Mr. Clever. And uh, the, uh, the doctor threatens to regenerate in order to burn up the cyber components in his brain mm-hmm. but it's a bluff because mm-hmm. as we'll see in, in two episodes he thinks he has no more regenerations left yeah and this is written close enough to that 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 had to be in his mind um mm-hmm. right. that he had figured out that the meta crisis doctor was a regeneration and that yeah. actually there were two david tenants that just looked identical mm-hmm. i mean Actually, that's not exactly the right way to say it, but the, the David Tennant regenerated into David Tennant and burned yep. a regeneration there, which simultaneously threw off the Meta Crisis Doctor. Right. But, uh, but I don't know that Neil Gaiman knew that. So the author's intent may have been, I'm going to burn a regeneration here, but given our knowledge of other things as viewers, we would have right. to infer right. this is either a bluff or he's threatening to commit suicide. Mm. Right. But to leverage his position, he's making it sound like I'm just going to keep going on. So you're not a threat right. to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. we also didn't have the issue of the war doctor yet either, because that's coming up for the next, right, ep- next episode. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's right. Uh, so let's talk about the Imperial Army platoon here, the punishment platoon. Oh, man. <laughs> the, <laughs> so they, the captain of this platoon. She recognizes Porridge as the emperor. Like she, she clearly knows who he is once she meets him. And he then quickly, in a way that's obvious on second watch, yeah, effectively orders her not to out him. Right, right. right. And uh, and they're, so they're a punishment platoon, which means they're inept. I'm not sure why they're on this planet. That I forget. She says it's to keep them out of trouble where they can't do any damage. <laughs> right, right. So. Uh, but they, they're a bunch of, you know, sad sacks. They're obviously meant to look incompetent as well as be incompetent. I mean, you know, one mm-hmm. of the soldiers and huddles they, into a fetal position when uh, confronted by a Cyberman, etc. Yeah, and they play on stereotypes, which I just find really annoying. Like, they're, yeah. the, so here are the names of the characters in this platoon as listed mm-hmm. in the credits. Captain, so you mentioned her. Yeah. Beauty, Brains, Ha Ha, and Missy. Mm. And just from the names, these yeah. are characters that get no respect. Right. And the, the, 
Missy here obviously has nothing to do with the Peter Capaldi I, Missy. I, right. I was going to say, but yeah. um, but Missy is the one you mentioned who like curls up when she meets a Cyberman in a darkened tunnel. She like collapses into the fetal position, and then the Cyberman detaches his hand, which grabs her face. Yeah, which is oh, the <laughs> detached hands grabbing people is is um, never visually successful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the others, like, so there's there's a, one guy who's tall and skinny and gawky. And he's, glasses. And has glasses, and he's yeah. brains. Of mm-hmm. course. And so we have this brainy stereotype. Yep. And another is overweight. That he's the and, haha. He's, he's the funny ha-ha. guy. And, so and, funny, and, fat is funny. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. If, this had, if this were the 1970s, they would have just called him fatty or tubby or something yeah. like that. Or even the 80s, they would have done that. Mm-hmm. And it's another typical stereotype. Um, and I just, I find this very off-putting. Right. And beauty is a, is a pretty girl. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah it, is, it, is kind of, it is off-putting. I mean, Missy, I think, only gets a name because they have to refer to her. By, like, Missy is missing, in, which is, must be also probably an eponym. eponym. Oh, yes. Um, Missy goes missing. Yeah. I will have to say though that the captain is right that they're a bunch of incompetents, including her. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So she, they've got this bomb that will implode the planet. I'm not sure "bomb" is the right word for it, but that's what they call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's coded to her voice print. And they have a secondary uh, detonator device. It's a remote control device. And I'm going. If this Cyberman blow up the planet or implode the planet directive is as serious in your culture as you're making it sound, anybody should be able to uh, <laughs> yeah. to 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 activate that device because you 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 don't know if you're going to be taken out. And mm-hmm. she is. She's like the first of the of the goofball soldiers to die. After mm-hmm. which they cannot rely on her voice print. They've got to rely on this other critical failure point which is the remote control which the cyber planner smashes right and and then apparently the emperor can activate any of the bombs yeah so but you can't count on the emperor <laughs> being on your being. planet when you need <laughs> exactly. to blow it up <laughs> right right so at one point as the doctor and mr clever are fighting for control of 0.2 percent of his brain uh you know to, in order to have total control while they play chess uh, he gets into the doctor's memories and he pulls out that the doctor calls Clara the impossible girl, and in fact tells Clara that she's the impossible girl, and uh, which is a prefigurement of the next episode, which, you know, the time of the doctor. And uh, so it's an interesting a little bit of reveal. And there's also some uh, actually other interesting Dr. Clara bits where Mr. Clever is trying to trick Clara that he's the doctor and starts uh, saying uh, romantic things to her. Well, like, yeah, so, so what she says is, tell me something only, if you're the doctor, tell me something only the doctor would know. Which is a stupid strategy yes, when he's got yes. access to his brain. Yes, you don't there's nothing. Know. <laughs> he, he, he could, yeah. I mean, he may not be in control, but you can't predict what he can pull out of the doctor's memories. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. It, yeah. So the, he does this thing like, oh, you're beautiful, and et cetera, et cetera. And she slaps him because, obviously, the doctor would never say that. And then we kind of get this little hint at the end of the episode where the where the doctor's like, well, maybe I would. So we have the the beginnings of well, we, we have, have the additional doctor's confirmation of romant romantic feelings between the right. two characters just before <laughs> Peter Capaldi uh, takes over. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, um, what else was there? The uh, the doctor claims that the Time Lords invented chess, which you know, of course, because why not? Um, it's that sort of sci-fi trope where uh, your important species invents everything, like like Chekhov on Star Trek, where the Russians invented everything important. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so at the very end, Porridge reveals that he's the Emperor, arms the bomb, and that also sets up a instant recall where his ship immediately tra- uh, you know uh, transports to where he is and beams them all up. You know, so. The little it's Deus a very, Machina. very unimpressive imperial ship too. When I mean, yeah. they don't have the budget to show us a royal court, so yeah. we get a okay. This is a marble hotel lobby looking room mm-hmm. with a few of the characters we've already met, and right. actually not even all of the Marines 
who we saw yeah. down on the planet yeah, yeah. are seen on the ship. Right. Um, there's at least a couple more that apparently got left behind because they didn't beam up with the rest of them. Although did, I can headcanon that to say they just got beamed up elsewhere on the ship. Did Webley get transported up? Because he was partially converted. Yeah, no, Webley. So Webley was the Im- impresario of the um, of the amusement park planet, and he got partially cyberized, and he did not get beamed up. Yeah, yeah presumably he's le- he was left to die because he was unrecoverable. I guess. Yeah, he, um, he's he's basically the Willy Wonka wannabe. <laughs> right, Webley's world of wonders. Uh. And then uh, Porridge, the Emperor, Emperor Porridge, uh, proposes marriage to Clara, and she refuses, of course, because, you know, you only just met him. Uh, and, uh, well, he his pitch is you could rule, you know, galaxies, and she's like, but I don't want to rule galaxies. <laughs> right, right. But she is flattered, and it's a nicely played pitch. I mean, I yeah. didn't have a problem with this, and I also liked how... When the doctor intervenes to, like, give her some advice, she's like, you stay out of this. This is between me and the emperor. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, 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 and that way, the emperor knows, and she lets him down very nicely. Yes. But that way, the emperor knows that this was really her decision, because, mm-hmm. and she's firm in this, because she was not influenced in making this decision. She shut up the influencer. Yes. Right. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, he they leave in the TARDIS. They they head back to Earth, and he drops them off. Uh, Artie and Angie, who are now polite children, who thank them for the trip, who uh, will and, never be seen again. And never, yep. <laughs> thankfully. And uh, the Clara's like, "I'll see you next Wednesday." And so apparently they they go traveling on Wednesdays. That's their traveling day. With the that's her day off from work. Yeah, so, I don't and, know. <laughs> well, and this kind of begins that that part of. Uh, Clara, unlike previous companions like Amy and Rory and others, doesn't live on the TARDIS, and that mm-hmm. that holds true for her time through the Twelfth Doctor as well. She just travels with them occasionally, which is and, a, a, and a that's difference. fine. I mean, yeah. it's it's taking advantage of one of the aspects of a time machine. You don't have yep. to live there all the time. <laughs> well, like you said, uh, well, it'll be a Wednesday, maybe next, maybe last, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, so yeah, and then uh. We end with a uh, one lone cybermite surviving the destruction of the the planet uh, beeping in space. After we get an unimpressive shot of the Imperial ship zooming off. Yes, yes, yep. yeah. Um, so, and that's uh, where where the episode ends. Father Corey, did uh, any other notes that you wanted to make about this episode? Nothing here, uh, Jimmy. So we have uh, one of the things that is unimpressive on the amusement park planet. But see, part of the problem is. They can't. They either don't have the budget or the imagination mm-hmm. to show us a fantastic amusement park, and yeah. they're deliberately subverting that by saying it's closed and it's apparently been closed for a thousand years, so it's falling into ruin. Mm-hmm. Although it's not really as ruinous as you'd expect after a thousand years. Mm-hmm. But they have this ride they call the Spacey Zoomer ride, which is the only ride we get to see in operation. I mean, we see some roller coasters in the background, but this is the only one we get to see. And it's basically a zero-gravity trampoline. Mm-hmm. So all you get to do, you're on a set that looks like the Tranquility Base from the Apollo moon landings, and you get to jump up and down. Right. And that's about it. So, you know, I, I'm i not happy with this closed amusement park setting. Frankly, Scooby-Doo does closed amusement parks <laughs> better. Yeah. In terms of the cute kids, I was trying to think of stories where kids appeared in Doctor Who and it did not end badly. Because normally when you have kids it ends badly. Like the the uh the twin dilemma, for example, which mm-hmm. is just atrocious. And I thought of two cases where they had kids that on the show that did not end badly. One of them is the impossible astronaut sequence where we have mm-hmm. the child uh, river song. Mm. Yep. And that was okay. And the other was Kazrin Sardik in A Christmas Carol, where we had the young boy Kazrin Sardik. Mm-hmm. Kazrin Sardik. And what, uh, what occurred to me in those two is they were both played solidly in one direction. Mm-hmm. And so, like, uh, the impossible astronaut thing was was serious it was played for drama 
This girl is under threat. She's in this creepy house, a children's orphanage in Louisiana. She's on the streets of New York dying. She's trapped in the spacesuit. You know, she's this is all just straightforward drama, and the child has very few lines. Mm-hmm. Um, in Kazrin Sardik's case, he's got lots more lines, but it's played for comedy. And in both cases, the child has been under threat. Obviously, that's the case in Young River Song, because she's been kidnapped by Madame Covarian, although we don't know who that is yet. And in um, in the case of Kazrin Sardik, he's been physically abused by his father. Right. And we see that. I mean, we they cut away at the key moment, but we see enough to know this is an abused child, emotionally and physically. And that makes these children work as characters in a way mm-hmm. these cute, superior, annoying children don't in this. <laughs> right. What about... Um- Night terrors, the little boy. Who's, I hated that. Where you've yeah. got the, you've got the, the. I, I, I thought about that. Where you've got the, yeah. uh, the cuckoo, the alien cuckoo child. Yeah. Um. And and he's just in an inert blob in that story. <laughs> he's he's right. just there because the story requires him to be. And then at the end, we have the stereotypical parental love overcomes all. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was trying to think of other kid ones, but yeah, you're right. I mean this. There's few of them where the kids just don't come off as annoying or mm-hmm. yeah yeah the the only two that I could think of that worked were Young River, who has almost no lines mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um and but is clearly under threat and Kazrin Sardik who has a complex situation starting out he's uh, he is under threat and then we watch his evolution out of that situation yeah. I'm trying to think if there was a twelfth Doctor one, but I'm not sure. But uh, mm. but yeah, that's it's an, yeah, that's an interesting mm-hmm. thought. Um, children do not do well in <laughs> Doctor or in television for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So additional things I liked in this: there is a moment where they're going to Natty Longshoe's comical castle, and Captain, who has no name, turns to her and is is resisting taking her orders, and she's and Clara says, "I trust the Doctor." And Captain says, so he knows what he's doing. And Clara says, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) And I like that as an exchange. And it actually fits the situation because you could trust the doctor, but still acknowledge he doesn't at this point probably know what he's doing. But I have confidence he will figure it out and we'll be okay. He usually does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked, I mentioned, I liked how, uh, Clara takes charge and she asks reasonable, good questions like, um, you know, she, she, among the first things she asks is for an inventory of the resources they have at their disposal to combat the Cybermen. And she says, okay, so we need to re- retreat to a safe place. Where is that? Right. And so she's relying on their knowledge of things, but she's still giving the orders. And when they're, they're in the castle with the moat, she says, well, like her first question is, can Cybermen fly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they could use that to get over the moat, and she's told no, they can't, or at least this model can't. Although mm. you know, humans can fly Upgrade. with a jetpack, <laughs> or yeah. Yep. Uh, but I liked all that. I found it extremely improbable that um, the emperor would be on the run from his court in this way. Yeah, it's it's not credible. Uh, I mean, we get a sense that he's on the run because he chafes under his duties as emperor. Um, I think they could have better explained that, but emperor has vanished and is holed up on a planet, and we haven't put anybody else on the throne in who knows how long, Mm. is um, not the way you run an empire. I guarantee (laughs) that would not have happened in Rome. Uh, Emperors might have snuck out of the palace for a night to go have fun, but they don't vanish for extended periods of time and expect to come back and find their throne unoccupied. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Um, but, yeah. by the way, they uh, they actually did give the captain a name, even though it doesn't show up in the credits, Alice Farron. And the only way mm-hmm. we know that is because she says it when she's trying to arm the bomb and then gets shot. Okay. And then oh, yeah. Porridge says it. It said, you could have you ended this. How, how did you right. put it? You could have destroyed this planet when you had the chance. All right. So uh, I think that should do it for the discussion of Nightmare in Silver. Neil Um, Gaiman, come back, but do better. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I promised some listener feedback, so let's uh, get to that. We have some feedback from our recent episode on the New Year's Eve special, uh, Eve of the Daleks. And uh, this come from, comes from our friend Bennett Gillespie uh, on Facebook. And Bennett says, uh, Sarah, uh, played by Aisling B., is best known in the UK as a stand-up comedian with a decent history of comic acting, uh, just like Dan, uh, mm-hmm. the companion. And uh, New Who appears to do this a lot, pull in, you know, stand-up comedians yes. or, or sure. comic actors. Especially for the holiday specials, uh, going all the way back. I mean, the first one that I can think of is, is I mean, there may be an earlier one, but mm. the second David Tennant Christmas special, Holiday of the da- or Voyage of the Damned. Yeah, uh, they had a role for a singer in that, and so they pulled yeah. in a famous yep. British singer. And Highly they tend to do yeah. tend to do that with the holiday specials that have bigger budgets, and they want to attract more viewers, so they do stunt casting on those days. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, that's true. That's true. I remember Nick Frost in the uh, Twelfth Doctor one with yep. the uh, Dreamcatchers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fate, the- face hugger alien Christmas. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I, I I just love the. When Peter Capaldi is scoffing as, at how Santa's bag can hold all those presents, and it's like it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Nick Frost was really good in that one. Uh, and then uh, Bennett also adds up uh, beef and beans is not a UK thing. It's more of the joke that weird stuff is being stored, which is what, in my opinion, the taxidermy is about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the the, yeah. the, the unseen character yep. of Jeff was hoarding thousands of cans of beef and beans. Yeah, and I didn't know if that was the thing. Because, uh, one one thing here in the United States, we don't think of doing you know baked beans as part of our breakfast, but yet a proper British breakfast, English yep. breakfast, has baked beans. So, yep. Uh, he says, "I agree that midnight as the deadline was plucked out of the air with no evidence, no support until the last cycle. I don't think they even ma- made it to then. I agree it could just as easily have been a countdown to three fifteen a.m. Um, so there was, so mm-hmm. there's no in uh, story reason for midnight for them to assume midnight was their deadline." I thought there was that went by really fast and was more by implication, but I don't remember what it was now, so I, okay. I could be right. Okay. It was just so that it ended at New Year's yeah, and have exactly. the fireworks go off. Well, right, we, right. we all know the non-diagetic reason. I'm, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then he finishes, I enjoyed the, this episode much more than The Flux, and uh, I enjoyed the podcast. And thank you, Bennett. Oh, thank you. All right, so let's finish off by taking a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Kara A, David G, Paula J, Stephen P, and Christopher D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of Nightmare in Silver? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 8th Doctor Big Finish audio story, Invaders from Mars. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, when someone asks you to be queen of the universe, you say yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>